It's Jonathan Mosen welcoming you to lucky episode number seven of the Mosen at Large podcast. Today, lots of technology in the mix, thanks to your listener contributions. Apple Music versus Spotify. Which should you go with? What would I like to see in the big Android event coming up and much more? If you would like to be in touch with the show, by all means do so. Jonathan at MushroomFM.com is my email address. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at MushroomFM.com. You can also call the listener line on 864-60-MOSIN. That is in the United States, 864-606-6736. Hey, Jonathan. It's Michael on the beautiful Oregon coast, uh, known over the airwaves on eight different radio stations as the Southern Oregon Coast Weather Guesser. Anyways, wanted to <laughs> leave you a quick voicemail and let you know that I love the uh, Most Not Large podcast. It's it's definitely brightened my Saturdays, well, and uh, I listen just about every week because I uh, can't catch your show live. I'm typically doing something else today. We were picking up equipment from a live remote that we were doing for the radio station. Um, and so I had to ask you a couple of things, though, after today's show. Oh, no. Uh, Those who know me know that I have, as of March, switched over to a Pixel XL 3 with TalkBack fully, and that is my primary driver. Uh, It's definitely been an adventure. I enjoy it and have my frustrations with it at times, Uh, but it's it's worked out for me pretty well. Um, What... You you mentioned some of the things that uh, happened at the Alexa or at the Amazon. Uh, Amazon should probably change their name to Alexa. Anyway, you mentioned uh, what they had coming at their events and or what they had done at their events and what they have coming out. Sounds like the uh, studio will be out the seventh of November, at least here in the U.S. So I'm kind of intrigued by that. Um, but I'm curious, do you have any? predictions or desires or wishes of things to see at the November 15th, um, October 15th, maybe I can get my dates right, Google event, which will be streamed live yes, at will. 7 a.m. Pacific time, that 10 a.m. Eastern, if I'm doing, yep, 10 a.m. Eastern, and I'm not quite sure on the uh, time in New Zealand. Anyways, uh, what, if anything, are you intrigued to see that Google releases? Because I'm I'm looking, uh, of course, they're going to have the Pixel 4, but I'm kind of intrigued by the Pixel Book, and I'm not sure if you've ever used a Chromebook and or what your experiences have been. Anyways, keep up the amazing work, uh, and I will have to check out A New Earth. I really appreciate that mention for the book. I was thinking of picking up The Power of Now, but I'll probably pick up A New Earth first. Yeah. Give that a listen, and if I enjoy it, then maybe explore The Power of Now. The one thing that I would really like to see in the new Google event is a screen reader that truly cuts the mustard that's viable and is competitive with iOS. So blind people have the same choice as everybody else. And currently we don't have it. And I make that bold statement and there'll be people wringing their hands and gnashing their teeth. But I have two fundamental bases for saying so. The first and most important, you get that fancy new Google Pixel 4, and you'll get a screen reader on it that does not take advantage of all the multi-touch features that the phone has to offer. So Google has made a decision to constrain your use of the hardware. If people are happy 
for legacy reasons or any other reasons with swiping up and right and down and left and doing the hokey-tokey, then they should be allowed to continue doing that. I'm not trying to enforce my preferences on everybody. There should be a legacy mode. But what we've seen in iOS 13, warts and all, is the joys of having a truly programmable touch screen reader. For example, I have a two-finger swipe left and right now in iOS navigating me between headings because I navigate between headings a lot in multiple applications. I have a four-finger, I think it's swipe up and down or something like that, navigating me between links because similarly, there's a lot of rich web-based content. You can't do those gestures in TalkBack because TalkBack does not expose you to the multiple touch environment. You're stuck with these crazy, convoluted, angular gestures. So I want Google to give me as a blind person the same choices that sighted people have and let me take full advantage of the multi-touch environment and program whatever gestures I like that take advantage of multi-touch. The second thing that would be essential for me for TalkBack to be viable is built-in Braille support that rocks. And by that, I mean, I would like Braille support that uses standard Braille conventions. I want a dot one, two, three chord to take me to the top of whatever I'm doing and a four, five, six chord to take me to the bottom. I want dot four chord to navigate me by lines and dot one, one chord to navigate me back. All of those conventions that have been around since at least the Versa Braille days of the 1980s that have just become a standard. There is no point in backing that trend. I mean, sure, again, let's have all the configurability that you like. I'm all for that. I'm all for customization and configurability. But the standard stock set of commands should be what has evolved as a standard over the years. And... The browser should be built into the screen reader. You shouldn't have to go through all sorts of convoluted things like cranking down the volume and all this kind of thing. You should just be able to have the Braille of a top quality built into the screen reader, input and output, and uh, accordingly use the device the way that you want to, particularly for people who are deafblind or people who are working in a range of environments where speech is inappropriate, that's absolutely essential. That said, there are some really cool things going on with Google services and uh, the Google Assistant is just absolutely outstanding in terms of the things it knows, the information that it's extrapolating. So I'm really intrigued by that. I have some questions about it or concerns about it from a privacy point of view, but nevertheless, the functionality, the utility that people are getting is really impressive. But I just think it is a myth to suggest that TalkBack is anywhere close to iOS until they give us that configurability to take full advantage of all that expensive hardware, such as the Pixel or some of the really nice new Huawei devices that are out there. Because in theory, Android should appeal a lot and and does, I think, appeal a lot to those of us who are geeks and want our phones to be unleashed and able to be rooted and customized and all sorts of fun things like that. Will be interesting to see what Google has in store. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. Christopher Duffley 
He's tweeting in and he says, I totally agree. And even though the customization is great on Android overall, for all of those reasons just explained, I'm sticking with Apple and Windows. Apple and Windows. Interesting. I must say, I have been quite intrigued by all the talk of Catalyst that has been around for a while. If you haven't heard of Catalyst, this is a new technology that Apple has been working on. The internal name for Catalyst, because all these projects have a code name before the marketing peeps get hold of them. Brownote Empower, I think the code name was Gandalf. And Baramir was the PK. And it was up to me to sort of name the projects in an official marketing sense. But until we got to that point, we had these internal code names. And obviously the development team at Pulse Data, as it was then, was on a bit of a Lord of the Rings kick. Anyway, Marzipan. That was the internal code name of this project, which has now in marketing speak become Catalyst. And the idea behind Catalyst, this is in Macland, is that developers can take an iPad app and fairly effortlessly port it to the Mac. And the new Mac operating system, Catalina, which was released in the last week, is where we start to see these Catalyst apps coming to release. And there are a few of interest. Twitter has released a Mac app again. Having taken their old Mac app away a while ago, there were third-party apps that have filled that void, including Tweetbot and the highly accessible Twitterific, and Lyri, which is one of my favorite apps. It's an RSS uh, reading app, and I spend hours a day reading all the news in Lyri. Fiery Feeds is another popular accessible app in the same space as Lyri. They've got a Catalyst app as well. I'm not using a Mac anymore, as people will know who read my article about three years ago that sort of went a bit viral. But I have been told by several people whose tech creds I respect that there's a big problem with the accessibility of these Catalyst apps. And that is extraordinary that Apple has put itself in that position where a lot of these apps that are being ported from iPad may not be particularly accessible in the Mac at the moment. And, you know, some people are pretty upset whether you're blind or not about the fact that because of the fact that it's not just push a few buttons and you're done. Some developers are charging a second time for Mac apps that are essentially the same with just a a few tweaks. So not everybody's happy about that. And sometimes I think even in-app purchases need to be purchased again. But this accessibility thing perhaps gives validity to what some people have been saying for a while, which is that while a lot of resource appears to be put into accessibility in iOS, Mac accessibility has been left languishing a bit. And it is intriguing that apparently either the quality control on the Mac side is so poor that nobody's picked up on this accessibility issue, or they've made a conscious choice to say, okay, we know it's inaccessible, but we're going to let it out anyway, and we'll come back to the accessibility later. So it doesn't affect me directly. But it is kind of intriguing because I must admit, when I heard about Catalyst and I thought, whoa, Larry on the Mac and various other things on the Mac, mm, yes, could be a bit tempting to get to play in the Mac space again. But then to find that those apps aren't accessible, 
that is a really intriguing business, and uh, I, I wonder if Apple will respond in any formal way to that or not. Mosin at Large Podcast. Jonathan, hi, it's Robin here. Robin here. Again. Whoa. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, I have just... <laughs> oh. Mate, look at you go. <laughs> achieved two... Uh, milestones in my activity on my watch. Sorry about that. Must be all the uh, excitement no, of calling so, into the show. I just wanted to thank you for another great show last week. I really did miss you the week before. And uh, in fact, to the extent that I emailed you saying, where's the show? Where is it? I demand and to know. as soon as you said, yeah, it's on hiatus because of the uh, remix of Abbey Road. I thought to myself, yeah, you did say that, didn't you? You did say but that. But I am a bear of very little brain and I'd forgotten that in the interim. Now, it made me smile when you and Bonnie were talking about skills on the A-Lady because there are oh, just so drinker. many and not everyone wants to go and scrabble around in the skills section of their app or on the website. You can ask her what new skills she has or what top skills she has or what new productivity skills she has or what new games you have. You can ask her lots of things like that and she'll surface a lot that way. And of course, you can listen to the Dot to Dot podcast and you get a new one every single day. We've covered all the skills you mentioned except Audible Clock. Audible Clock. Check that one out. Expect that one in the feed very soon. I also heard you mention about C, the TV Apple Plus show. And Hugo, my guide dog, is being very noisy with a bone in the other room. Anyway, so (laughs) C, I was really lucky enough to be a consultant on that show. I spent three days with the writing team and the director and the producer and looked at many scripts and, in fact, the storyline up to series three, which I'm really hoping, touch wood, they get that far. They have been really pleased with the um, results so far. They filmed in Canada. The Canadian friends will be happy to know. And it's really, really cinematic and epic and obviously they're going for the Game of Thrones type scenario. Um, I'd be more than happy to spill the beans on the things we discussed because by and large they're covered in the trailer, the look and feel, but I can give an insight into the kind of world they're trying to create and a lot of fun that we had with making sure that blindness was portrayed properly, but also the kind of shenanigans that would get on in a blind, a completely blind society. Anyway, happy to provide more information if people are interested, but I just wanted to allay people's potential fears that this is going to portray blindness in a, well, in any number of um, unproductive or unflattering or unhelpful ways. I have just eaten a peanut butter and banana sandwich and I think it's affected my ability to speak. As it should. So, what a combination, yeah, Robin. Do that. Oh, but um, oh. if uh, people are worried about it, please don't be, unless they've really changed a lot since I was working on it with them. Then peanut don't butter worry. and banana. It's going to be good. Ooh. It's going to be really good, guys, and it's going to have audio description, as will every single uh, TV plus uh, program episode show that comes out. Brilliant. Keep it up. Thanks a lot. Never mind about all of that. The peanut butter and banana. Oh, my word. It does remind me, though, of the weird things we had for lunch as kids. And I must confess that one of the things I quite enjoyed, and it was a popular thing at school when I was going to school, and it was a long, 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 long time ago, Marmite and chip sandwiches, as in what the Brits would call crisps. 
So you'd get a bag of chips and you'd have, it's terribly carby, isn't it? You'd get a bag of chips and you'd put some chips on the sandwich, you'd smother it with marmite. Oh my word. And before anybody scoffs at me, it's a heck of a lot better than peanut butter and banana. This is very interesting, Robin, actually, the fact that you were a consultant for this C show. And I'm really looking forward to watching it. And thank you also for the confirmation that all Apple TV Plus shows are going to be audio described. We have two little entries in the drawer, as it were. We've got um, an Apple TV that we had to buy because our other one sort of exploded. Wasn't quite that dramatic. We just had a massive lightning strike and a couple of things, despite the surge protectors, did not survive. The little Apple TV being one of them. And of course, I've got the iPhone 11 Pro Max. So in both cases, that entitles me to a free year of Apple TV Plus and not just me, but the whole family with the family sharing thing. So we definitely are looking forward to November the 1st and Apple TV Plus, all the more so now that you have so unambiguously confirmed that Apple TV Plus is going to have all of its shows audio described and the show called C is particularly intriguing. Thank you, Robin. Steer clear of that peanut butter and banana. Harm can come to a young lad like that, I tell you. No one quite castigates like the Brits castigate. I'm very pleased to say that feedback is back on BBC Radio 4. Very excited about this because I enjoy a half hour of good old British castigation. This week, they have been castigating the BBC Sounds app, which is crazy to me because... I get, I've got an account in the UK app store. See. So I've got the BBC Sounds app. I think the BBC Sounds app is fantastic. And you've got all these people who are calling into the Feedback Show. For those who are unaware, Feedback is a show on BBC Radio 4 where basically they, they devote half an hour to slagging off the outfit that broadcasts the show. In other words, the BBC. It's basically a half hour of people whinging about the BBC. And they broadcast it on the BBC and they play it as a podcast. It's just, it's just great. And and they were whinging on yesterday about the BBC Sounds app because somebody's got a, like, a phone that's over six years old and the BBC Sounds app doesn't work on it. And, of course, the poor guy, who is clearly a developer dude, he's not like a comms guy at all, and he's pointing out, well, you know, I mean, it's a six-year-old phone, but even then, you can go to the web and they've got like a web uh, version of BBC Sounds that works in any browser. So even if you've got a six-year-old phone... You can't expect apps to be made for old technology. Technology moves on. And, of course, there's all these people saying, ah, discriminating against the, whatever they're discriminating against just because they've got a six-year-old phone that won't run this new app. It's hilarious. I can't recommend the feedback show enough from BBC Radio 4. It's just fantastic. This is Aaron Linton. Hello, Aaron. I agree with you about oh, your comments regarding Braille. Um I always have tried to capitalize it and sometimes miss it, but I usually um, will go back and capitalize it, and I'm going to continue to do that from now on. Um, but I actually was moved by your blog post so much that uh, I sent it to Bono, which, again, is the National, uh, the Federal Association of North America uh, chairperson, and I emailed her, and I basically told her, you know, I cited um, your 
some of your thoughts and some, and your blog post URL I sent to her and said I encourage her to read it. But my thing is, too, with uh, Unified English Braille, why do we need to have that more looking as print as possible? And I understand it's a technical issue. It's for the Braille embossers, but it was not meant to be a Braille-centric or, or rather a print-centric thing where it needed to look like Braille. Braille has never been about looking like print. Um, so my biggest thing there is for some of the um, contractions like COM and ATION specifically, you don't um, use those contractions anymore. And for me, I always know that when it's COM and when it's a dash, um, or like with in the concepts con concept of Asian um, ATION, why do we need to make words longer when we're, when the code is designed, especially grade two and even grade three at that point, to be shorter and to take up less cells on a page? That's never made any sense to me when it comes to UEB. And um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it and understand the Unified English Braille code, but it makes no sense. And they've redone the Braille Music Code, too, which is a another bar of wax that I'm not even going to go into because that's horrendous, at least in my point of view. They really messed that up, and it's really retraining my mind and boggling my mind uh, when it comes to that. Thank you, Aaron. I am a big fan of UEB, which I guess is a bit of a controversial position, but I remember attending a conference in New Zealand in 1993 where UEB was being discussed. They called it UEBC in those days, the Unified English Braille Code. One of the reasons why I'm particularly sympathetic to the original aims of UEB is I have done work with some countries, particularly in the Pacific or in other developing areas, where kids have had to learn two versions of mathematic Braille because they will take textbooks from wherever they can get them. And there's such disparity between the way maths is written around the place that the only way they could really use all the donated textbooks was to teach their kids two versions of Braille mathematics, which is incredibly unfortunate. Apart from that, print is changing, and I think Braille has to keep up. It shouldn't lock itself into a time warp, into a museum-like state. You mentioned the ATION contraction, and that's a really interesting case in point, because mixed case is a lot more common now. Compound words where, in the middle of a word, it might be capitalized. And so you have say, a word that has a capital N in the middle of it or a capital Y in the middle of it. What's a computer supposed to do? I guess with automated software, you can program all sorts of exceptions, but it just makes the conversion of Braille by machine a lot more complicated. And of course, with most of us reading electronic Braille these days, the way that back translators deal with Braille is a really important consideration. I'm also mindful of how little a lot of us really understand about how to use different type fonts and formatting. And 
in literary Braille, I seldom see. I mean, we, we adopted UEB a long time ago in New Zealand. And in literary Braille, I seldom see a lot of the symbols that are available within UEB that depict various fonts and things, because most of the time it's not relevant. But sometimes it is. And we do live in a world where presentation is important. And a lot of us as blind people have scant understanding of how to make a document look really good. We can't keep bemoaning the unemployment rate in the blind community if we're not prepared to do our bit. You know, we should tackle the attitudinal barriers and and go forth on those issues. But we have to be work-ready as well. And to be work-ready, you really have to understand how to produce a good-looking document. And if we're not exposed to that stuff because of the inadequacies of our Braille code, it's a really serious consideration in my view. And I think that a lot of the changes in UEB are incremental. I have UEB switched on. I seldom think about it now, really. I seldom think about it. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, this is Shan calling from uh, Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. Happy Thanksgiving uh, in advance. Your podcasts. You do an excellent job. Really enjoy them. Lots of good information. And uh, your autobiography series was excellent. Well, thank well. you. Anyways, um, something I just heard, and, and, and you're a Beatles fan, so I, I thought, hey, you'll probably know this. Um, but um, the album that just came out called Abbey Road, the oh, remix yes. that mm. they're doing at the Beatles. Um, I was watching a show one time here a few weeks ago, and they were saying that actually the album originally um, they weren't going to call it Abbey Road. Actually, originally, um, the producer in that was talking about calling it Everest. That's right. Yep. And uh, they were thinking that uh, th- that the picture on the album was going to have to be of the Beatles at Everest, but uh, it was going to cost too much money, and I forget what how the story all went, but uh, a couple of the Beatles didn't want to, you know, sp- A, spend that much money or travel that far. And so... Uh, that's how they ended up with the picture, and it was called Abbey Road. Anyways, just uh, some small history, and uh, keep up the great work. Talk to you later, sir. Thank you, Sean. Yes, that's correct. The album was tentatively titled Everest, and they were thinking of flying the Beatles out there. That sounds like a Paul thing, to be honest. Paul was into these grandiose schemes. I don't know that for sure. I believe Everest may also have been a brand of cigarette, and that could have been one of the reasons why they put the kibosh on it as well. But in the end, the Beatles just sort of said, oh, what the heck, we'll just get out there and do the zebra crossing outside the studio. And what an iconic photo that is. They've got a webcam permanently up and running outside Abbey Road now where you can see people risking life and limb to get that picture or try and emulate that picture. And indeed, I have such a picture myself on the Abbey Road crossing. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. Stella has asked me, says Ian Lackey, to ask you if you will be tuning into the Brexit parliamentary session next Saturday. It could be quite exciting. Yeah, I'm very conflicted by this, um, Ian. I'm very tempted to take the week off. It's not often that the British Parliament sits on a Saturday. I think it's happened about twice since 1930. They sat on a Saturday in 1939, just as World War II was breaking out, 
And I think they had another Saturday session in 56, around the Suez crisis time. And didn't they have a third one, I think? I think when Maggie was taking the Brits into the Falklands. I think they had a Saturday session then. It's very uncommon. And, of course, it looks like it could be quite a significant session. So um, I'm terribly conflicted about it, Ian. Terribly conflicted. I, I've, I've been following this for so long. We'll see how we go. You just don't know what's going to happen in a week in British politics. It was Harold Macmillan, I think, wasn't it, who said a week is a long time in politics. And, mate, was he ever right, especially at the moment. Or was it Wilson? One of the Harolds. I think it might have been Macmillan who said a week ago. Uh, shall we ask the drinker? Soup drinker. Who said a week is a long time in politics? For the latest in politics and other news, oh. try asking Alexa. Play my flash briefing. You can also ask for news by specific provider. For example, yeah, Alexa, yeah. Soup drinker. Place- Stop. Ridiculous. Uh, here's uh, Kelby Carlson. And Kelby says, Jonathan, you mentioned a few weeks ago that Todoist was now your task manager app of choice. Yes, it is. Since apps you recommend are always worth checking out, he says, oh, no pressure. Uh, I downloaded it, but found some accessibility problems. Sometimes buttons would disappear from the screen and the app does not seem to want to create sub projects. Is this a potential iOS version compatibility problem or am I just missing something? Um, I have found a couple of focus issues, Kelby, where sometimes you just have to tap around the screen to get to where you need to be. So it's not what I would call exemplary in terms of accessibility. There are one or two focus issues, but I persist with it because it's just so quick. When I'm in a meeting, And I've got the syntax sorted out now. So I can go to the add task screen and I can write uh, the people that I'm tagging this task with. So I have a senior management team I need to work with. And every week I have one-on-one meetings with each of my senior managers and all the tasks and all the various projects I have, I tag the people who I need to work with on specific projects. And so when I have these one-on-one meetings, I bring up the tag with their name and all the projects, all the tasks that I need to talk to them about are all in the one place. And it, Todoist isn't unique in that regard. OmniFocus does a great job of that as well. Where Todoist is particularly good, though, is that when you memorize the command syntax, use of the at sign and number sign and things, you can do it all without having to mess around with the UI. You just type it all into the into the command line. Uh, so... Um, I don't think I've encountered the problem you talk about with sub-projects, but I have certainly encountered the problem that you talk about with some focus issues. But, you know, again, it's one of those judgment calls you make about persisting, uh, you know, with with an app that might not be 100% perfect. Hey, Jonathan, it's a Luddite from the United States. (laughs) I'm hanging on to an iPhone 6S, and I'm wondering if it's uh, safe to update to iOS 13 if you're a voiceover user or if it'll uh, slow the machine down. Not a power user or anything like that. Thanks for your feedback. Bye. I think I recognize that Luddite voice. Oh, well, this is a good question for others. I think I have read somewhere that Apple has continued to make optimizations of the iOS code. They really did a good job, I understand, of this last year where they 
spent a lot of time on fixes and things of that nature. And people did say that they perceived a speed improvement. I don't know whether that is so much the case this year or not, but if anybody's running older hardware with iOS 13, is it about the same? Is it slower? Is it even faster? That would be a nice thought, wouldn't it? Let us know and help out our Luddite friend. Hi, Jonathan, it's May Thompson here. Oh, May. What I want to know is, could you answer a question about Apple Music and Spotify? Now, in your opinion, which do you think is the best, or is that very fair? Because it depends, I suppose, what people like. But do you think Apple Music is better than Spotify? I think the upside of the Apple Music would be for me so that you could ask Siri to play different things. Because, you see, I used to have Apple Music and then I stopped it because I'd had Spotify as well. I've kept Spotify and I'm thinking of going back to Apple Music, but I think it would be too expensive to have both. And I'm not sure what to do because, you see, I did a stupid thing yesterday. Oh, no. They offered me a free trial and then I confirmed that I wanted the free trial. And then I I actually decided, no, I don't want it. So I cancelled the free trial. (laughs) And now I went into Apple Music and, of course, I I have not been offered the free trial again because, you know, obviously I cancelled it. Um. But I just wondered what your opinion was, whether you thought, on the whole, that Apple Music was better. We live in an age of miracles and wonders, do we not? Because I can remember, when I was a kid, having to make some tough decisions about allocating my pocket money to the one single, or maybe if I really saved up, album that I wanted to buy at the moment. And it was a tough decision sometimes. What album do I really think I'll be playing in a year or two? When you're a kid, you know, that's a hard decision to make. And now, for essentially the cost of one album a month, you can subscribe to millions and millions. I mean, dozens of millions of tracks. It's incredible, isn't it? The whole thing has changed. So one does well, no matter which service one chooses. Yes, there's a salutary lesson there, May. Unlike a lot of the subscriptions that Apple has where you can get, say, a two-week trial from an app that's developed by a third party, and if you switch that trial off, you get to use it until your expiration, until the subscription would have kicked in as a paid subscription. But with those trials like Apple Music and I think um, Apple Arcade and probably Apple TV Plus will be like this, and the news is like this too if you have it in your country. If you cancel a trial before it's up, you are switched off that trial right away. So you've squandered your trial opportunity now, mate. In terms of which is the best service, first of all, let's take Siri out of this equation because this week Spotify released an update to its app that takes advantage of new features in iOS 13. And so if you have Spotify Premium, you can now say, play, come together, buy the Beatles on Spotify. And Siri will play it from Spotify for you. If you don't have Spotify Premium, then the feature set's a little bit more limited. You can say, play the Beatles on Spotify, and it will play a random playlist for you. 
But if you have a Spotify subscription and your app is up to date, then you can ask for any song or artist that you like and it will play it with Siri. The first time you do it, you may be required to give Siri and Spotify permission to talk to each other, but that is a one-off thing. And then you're cooking with gas. So if Siri is your only consideration, you can actually take that out of the mix because they are pretty similar. You may object to having to say on Spotify every time. And if that's the case, of course, Apple Music is still the default app for music. You can't change that in iOS, which is one of the limitations of iOS. And it's probably one of the things that will eventually get Apple pinged in the antitrust space. So we'll have to watch that. I had both for a while because we wanted to use a streaming music service with our soup drinker. And stop. And we chose Spotify over Amazon Music for reasons I don't recall. And so we stuck with Spotify and Apple Music. And actually, we also have Deezer, which gives us lossless music as well, which is really nice when you're listening on the Sonos. So we had a few streaming music services. I actually dropped Spotify when support for Apple Music came to the Soup Drinker. So now we have our Apple Music as our default music service on our soup drinker, and we are very happy with that. One thing I will say about Spotify that Apple Music does not have is shared playlists. Last year, we had all the kids here. We sort of do turnabout. Amanda has the children one year for Christmas time. We have them every other year. And of course, the kids these days have devices and quite a few of them are Spotify users. And what we were able to do before Christmas Day was create a Spotify playlist. And we turned it into a shared Spotify playlist. And this means that all the kids could go in with their Spotify accounts and add songs to the playlist that they liked, that were sort of Christmassy for them, that were their favorite Christmas songs. So we had six people or maybe seven people collaborating on this Spotify playlist. And then on Christmas Day, we put it on shuffle and we got a great mix of Christmas music that everybody liked. Apple doesn't yet have that collaborative music feature. So that's unfortunate. And it is a feature I really like about Spotify. Another consideration in Apple Music's favor, though, is family sharing. So this may or may not be relevant to everybody. Family sharing creates an environment where you can have Apple Music shared with all your family sharing members in your family circle. And it's a pretty reasonable cost. And obviously, my kids who have uh, Apple devices love this because they get the free Apple Music courtesy of the Bank of Dad and Bunny. So they're big fans. And so that's a good feature. Spotify does have a family sharing feature, but it is much more restrictive than Apple's. Much more restrictive. I think they're trying to do address verification. I believe you have to all be in the same house and there are various caveats there. So it is important, I think, to think about what you want to do But if your main concern was Siri, that concern just this week has been nulled and voided. Mosin at Large Podcast. Jonathan, Nick Zamorelli here. 
Like so many, I have been enjoying the Mosin at Large podcast very much, but I've been listening to them sort of out of order. Oh, dear. For example, last night slash very early this morning, I listened to episode two, and I have an efficiency comment. You know, you're absolutely right about how important efficiency is and how efficiency and accessibility aren't the same thing. And as a way of trying to get my proximity sensor solved, uh, my problem solved with the proximity sensor on the Galaxy S10e, um, I actually recently gave the phone to my cousin and had him look at it. And he actually turned voice assistant on and, and then Google Talkback. Of course, you can't run them at the same time, but he tried them both. And one of the things he said to me was, and I never really thought of this, he said, boy, Nick, he said, I give you a lot of credit. He said, this swiping with one finger and finding the item and then double tapping it to activate, it's hard work. He said, it's it's amazing. So it's, you know, it's wonderful when you can get a sighted person's perspective on it because I don't think that they honestly realize um, how different it is for a blind or a sight impaired person uh, to operate these devices. You know, and it does take some extra steps. So I really enjoyed the fact that he was able to recognize that. Um, And I haven't been paying attention so much to the proximity sensor issue because of another issue that I have been paying a great deal of attention to. And that is the fact that I just bought the WeWalk Smart Cane. Oh, I'm hoping that uh, you and your listeners have heard a little bit about this thing. Uh, invented, for those who don't know, by a gentleman in Turkey and got the thing designed, developed, um, and marketed. And it costs 500 US dollars, which is a lot of money, but honestly, not as much money as I thought it would be. However, I'm having some uh, calibration issues with it and some software issues. One of the software issues I'm having is that Um, one of the tabs when you get into the software on either Android or iOS is a profile tab and you go in and you input your weight, your age, and the percentage of your disability. So are you 100% disabled or whatever? And once you input those things, you hit the update button and on both iOS and Android, I get an error message back that says, uh, an error occurred. Please try again later. That's all it says. And I've uh, emailed the WeWalk folks a couple of times, most recently this morning. They said they were going to call me back, and I'm still waiting for a call from them. So any uh, issue or any uh, advice, rather, that uh, you or anybody else might have, if anybody out there is using this thing, I could really use some advice because... There are some other things that I need to learn how to do. For example, saving my preference for when you press down on the center of the touchpad on the cane. I want that to trigger the microphone. And I've gone in and set that, but that's not saving either. So any help that you all can offer would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much, Nick. I'm pleased to talk with somebody who has one of these. I have heard about this WeWalk smart cane, and it seems to me such a no-brainer. I've thought for years, 
Blind people are carrying these canes around with them all the time, and they are dumb for the most part. And I know there have been a few efforts to do sonic canes and various sensory things, but the idea that somebody would come out with a cane that's really smart, that has GPS and voice commands and everything like that, there's just such an obvious idea. And I suppose one of the reasons why it might not have been done in the past is how can you get the cost of manufacture down to the point that individuals will buy one of these things? And you're on the bleeding edge, aren't you? Because it is quite a new product. I imagine there might be some teething problems. And like everything, I guess the question is, what happens when these occur? What kind of support are you getting from them? So I will be interested in further information on your WeWalk journey. But if anybody else has one of these and has tried one, I'd be really intrigued to find out what practical benefits you have found them to accrue for you in daily life. It is interesting. I mean, the geek in me just naturally makes me want to think I should get one of these and be seen wandering around with a WeWalk smart cane. But I'm curious to hear from real end users does it give you greater confidence to travel in areas where you otherwise wouldn't have what is it adding to your life there seems to be a bit of attention being paid to the space i see over the week that google has announced that thanks to one of its blind software developers they've come out in their maps app for both ios and android with enhanced walking guidance for blind people at the moment, it's only available in the United States and Japan, and you have to go into settings and enable it. And they're saying that they hope to bring other countries on board with it soon. So that'll be interesting to try, you know, because we have in the past bought these expensive GPS apps that cater to our particular needs, acknowledging that we need more description of what's around us than the average person. So have you tried that? If you are in the United States or Japan... Is it any good? Would it cause you to ditch the blindness-specific GPS apps that you are using? And I also see on the travel space over the week that there is now tight integration between Blind Square and Ira. Whoa, where did that year go? Do you realize it's a year ago today that I left Freedom Scientific and a year ago on Tuesday, the 15th, White Cane Day, that's an anniversary I won't have trouble remembering, that I started at Ira where I was for six months, six unexpectedly short months, given the opportunity that came my way after. Um, but they're now tightly integrated for a Blind Square and IRA. So you can find out when you're running Blind Square, when you're near an IRA access location, you can call an IRA agent for free for a call for a maximum of five minutes per call. And it's all built into Blind Square now. Here's the mighty Quinn from Iowa. That's Pam Quinn, by the way. There's a movie that I think a lot of you would like called Yesterday. I've heard of this movie. And actually, um, Nicola, my daughter, has seen it. And um, she was talking to her mum. She was talking to Amanda about it. And, and apparently Amanda said, that's the kind of movie Jonathan is going to either absolutely love or absolutely hate. She knows me too well. I haven't seen it yet. Anyway, Pam gives us a bit of a synopsis. Synopsis. After a failing musician is in an accident, he wakes up in a world that is much the same with a few things missing, one of them being the Beatles. Nobody has ever heard of them. So he decides to play their songs 
in order to become successful. Great movie, and it's audio described. I will have to watch this. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch it, and I thought I'd just hang about a little bit until it's audio described, until it's on the iTunes. So thank you, Pam. And if anyone else has watched it, what do you think? Hello, Jonathan. My name is Anil. I am from India. Hi, Anil. Today, I want to share my experience with you with a bug which I faced when iPad OS was in its beta. That time, uh, two weeks back, maybe, I was attending Freedom Scientific webinar and using zoom conference client ah so you were you were attending a freedom scientific webinar on your ipad you see bad things will happen when you do that you see maybe they know (laughs) after the webinar completed (laughs) the host stopped the meeting and i lost all audio i lost sound output from the speakers and sound input from microphone as well i came to know why by checking it with my brother then i tried pressing volume plus and minus buttons of no use so i powered off and powered on my ipad no solution then also finally what i did was i plugged an external wired earphones then i started noticing audio through external earphones then i unplugged it then the sound returned again wow so this was my experience regarding ipad os audio problem at that time i believe this is fixed as of now hey jonathan it's mike and uh, i've been having an interesting week of course with uh, ulysses uh i've actually had to come to a decision to jump ship a little bit uh i'd still love to finish off the guide in ulysses but of course you know they haven't uh, got to the bottom of this bug yet that's slowing everything down so i have painstakingly copied each sheet of my guide some of them quite large over to Ulysses, uh, to scrivener as my backup choice at the yeah. moment i just i can't get used to the canvas thing in in the pages i i was looking at that too but uh, I, I wanted something a little closer to Ulysses, and thankfully I didn't give back Scrivener when I stopped using it. I kept it around to see how it would develop. And uh, it, it looks like I'll be able to continue work pretty easily now that all the sheets are copied over, and then only have to copy back the sheets that I've progressed on when they finally fix this, this uh, bug. I think they will. I have no doubt that they will. It's just, just a matter of time that I can't wait right now. <laughs> so... Yeah, but uh, it's, you know, it, it uh, Scrivener is, is not a bad uh, system. I'm, I'm getting used to it and uh, glad. Uh, I guess that's one thing I'll really have to be sure to, to nail down as a point in the guide is, is have a plan B. You never know when these apps are going to take accessibility hits. So have at least one backup option available for things you really need to do. 
Anyway, uh, yeah, Thanksgiving this weekend election here in, yes. uh, in our federal election, that is, not, not provincial, uh, in uh, about nine days. So, uh, yeah, things are happening uh, in, in Canada. Well, happy Thanksgiving to all the Canadian listeners. I got an email from the Ulysses people. You may remember last week I was talking about Ulysses, this wonderful app, and I will be doing a comprehensive review of it if they ever sort out their current soup. And I really like the app a lot, but as Mike has identified, this awful bug with copying and pasting, which slows the app down when VoiceOver is running to a horrible crawl to the point that you just can't be productive with it. It's a showstopper, that one. And I did get an email from the Ulysses people the other day, and they said, we've been able to reproduce it to some extent. I'm not quite sure what that means. And then an update dropped for Ulysses, and I thought, oh, squee, finally I can use it, but it's... um. It's no better, so I guess they haven't released any fix that they're working on into the code, and I really hope they do. Scrivener is okay. It's quite similar to Ulysses. I'm not sure which one came first, but they clearly are trying to compete for the same kind of space. There's just something about the UI of Ulysses, the way it's so comprehensively documented. It just feels fun to work in. Very subjective, I appreciate So, yeah, it sounds like Scrivener's a good plan B for you, but I really hope that we'll get... Ulysses back up and running. I think the other thing I couldn't find was uh, I don't think there were as many formatting shortcuts in Scrivener, like marking headings and different things like that. You can, of course, export your Ulysses stuff to various formats, including Word. So if you've got an app that will import from common formats, you're in reasonably good shape as well. Hey there, Mr. Mosin. It's J Dog here. Oh, my word. Fancy schmancy new iPhone 11. Oh! 64 gigabyte version. Look at you go. I hadn't fully charged it yet, but I have a question. Oh, yeah? I just got this thing on Monday. No? Monday, yeah, and I still got the old iPhone 10 over here. Yep. Uh, somewhere. Here it is. Here's the iPhone 10, which I've been primarily using because, honestly, not a lot of people call me, which is a good thing. Oh, I'll call you every day <laughs> if you want. be quietly because Prince is sleeping in the other room. And uh, my question is about battery life. What is the best way to charge? And you'd think that this would be on your podcast, Nudge, Nudge, Wink, Wink, because it's such an important topic in my view. I want to get the longest amount of battery life. I charge the thing every day and definitely every night. Should I keep it? I I have the battery optimization thingy turned on, but that seems to be kind of hit or miss unless I have to charge it at the exact same time every day, which of course I don't because, you know, you never know when Prince is going to go to sleep or I'm just going to need to charge it or maybe I've gone down to like 20% or something like that unnecessarily one day or two or something. Um, is it good to run it all the way down and charge it or is it good to always charge it at a certain percentage level up to 100 or even up to 80 or what's what's the best way to do it is it good to use wireless chargers and i think i've asked that question before we've got a wireless charger an anchor or something or other charger i don't know what kind it is and we've actually got an otterbox case on our 11s and i honestly i kind of see what you're talking about if your phone is dirty like on the back of it and even sometimes if it isn't, we've got these cases for our 10s too that we got off of Amazon that I swear you'll take the case off and the phone just feels nasty on the back. Ew. 
I don't know if it's because of just the regular wear and tear of the using of the phone or, or what, but it's just, it's really bad. It's like if I take this case off the phone, as if you can see it, it's like really, there's, well, yeah, there's not really as much stuff as there was earlier, mm. but yeah. there's like smudges and weird crap on my case. Yeah. Anyway, sorry to keep you on. I talk a lot, I know. <laughs> my own talk show. Anyway, that's basically my question is the battery usage um, things as of now. Because I saw a YouTube video back in like 2017 that they're talking about best battery practices. And I don't know if it's still relevant or not. Ah, battery health, J-Dog. Well, I hope that Prince is doing well. That's your little baby. How old is Prince now? Anyway, that's uh, that's great. Battery health is a big thing. And I have discussions with one of my sons about this and the way he lets his battery discharge all of the way. We use a cross-platform app called Life360 because he uses Android. Everybody else uses iOS. And with Life360, we can create a family circle. It's kind of like Apple's Find My App, except it's cross-platform. And we can all just check where everybody is and contact one another. But one of the really nice things that Life360 has that find my does not is that you can find out the battery life of the devices who you are tracking in your family circle and you actually get a push notification and we regularly get push notifications that say richard has only nine percent battery ask him to charge his phone and i say to him richard i say batteries no longer develop this memory effect like they used to in the old days of the nickel cadmium you know the nicad batteries in fact i see over the last week that the developers of the lithium-ion batteries have been given a nobel chemistry prize squee there you go you've got to be careful though because they they can explode every so often at aircraft and things and this is why it's hard to get certain extended batteries into the country sometimes and everything but anyway So don't charge it all the way down and all the way up again. You are going to deplete your battery by doing that. Do not let it run all the way down and all the way up again. Don't do it. That is bad for your battery. The battery optimization feature in iOS 13 will help because you're right. It uses sort of AI and things to try and work out when you tend to charge your battery and when you tend to need it. And it will kind of put your battery in a very low trickle charge state until it thinks you're ready to use the phone and then it will quickly charge it up again. This works really well if you have the big boofy charger that comes with the iPhone 11 Pro. Man, that thing charges quickly. It's fantastic. But you can override that. If you know you're going to need the phone quicker than Apple thinks, you can turn off the thing and charge it right away. The sweet spot for lithium-ion batteries is between 20% and 80%. So if you're able to keep within that range, you will get good life from your battery. So if you if you can unplug it when it's at about 79 percent, use it, you know, as long as you don't get to below 20 percent, then put it on charge. I mean, you can replace them pretty cheaply, the battery. So I wouldn't be overly obsessive about it. But yes, if you're interested in battery health, there are a couple of tips there. October, as we all know, is Meet the Blonde Month. And here she is. Hello. (laughs) How do you feel about Meet the Blonde Month? It does honestly doesn't bother me. I mean, it's also you know Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October. Well, that's an important month. Yeah, wearing the pink. So you know, 
I just don't have an issue with it. If they, they want to have things, you know, to make people aware of blindness and the capability of blind. I mean, you have to really realize, and I know we, we, could, we all get annoyed with people who act like blind people can't do anything. And it gets tiring having to answer questions constantly about the dog or the cane or the phone or whatever. But the reality is people are more afraid of blindness than they are nuclear attack or even cancer. And having worked in this job for the past couple months, I mean, people, when they, if you have not been around blind people and the majority of sighted people haven't, or if you've not grown up with vision loss, when you lose your vision, it's a pretty traumatic thing. So I think the more awareness that we can bring to it is good. You know, I just don't have a problem with it. You answered the question far more seriously than I, I asked it. I was talking about Meet the Blonde Month, you see. Oh, okay. Yeah, but anyway, f- fair enough. Fair enough. Well, yeah. everybody wants to be a blonde, so, you know. Do they? Oh, yeah. People dye their hair blonde. I was... Someone on Facebook last night was doing one of those quizzy things where, you know, color of your hair, one word to describe something. And she's now a blonde when she always was like a brunette forever. So, Well, then no hair dye for you. No. Have you ever dyed your hair? No. Hmm. I don't have to. We have been exercising our franchise here in New Zealand. If you don't exercise them, they tend to get a bit rusty. And so we had a local government election yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, we still don't know who our mayor is. Yes. Uh, no, we don't because here we have a system in Wellington called single transferable votes. What happens is you rank your candidates in order of preference and then they go through this incredible tabulation until a c- candidate reaches. So you're, if, if, if your top preference doesn't have enough votes, then that preference drops off and then the next one. Anyway, it's a very complicated formula to get a candidate that hopefully most people can live with. And the vote was so close that they're still doing some weird tabulations and they're waiting for a sudden influx of votes to be counted. But the interesting controversy about all of this is that it takes place by postal ballot. Yeah. And that means that it's completely inaccessible. Mm-hmm. They had people in the library you could go and get help filling your ballot paper in with if you were blind. But, I mean, I think that really misses the point. You're not casting a secret ballot. We had family members helping us. It's ironic to me that you you get told from early age you you need to vote because people fought and died for your right to vote. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people that fought in those wars they're talking about also came back blind. So isn't it incredibly insulting that we still have countries where people think somehow blind people are just going to have to live with being second-class citizens Mm -hmm. and not have a secret ballot. It's just really, really obnoxious. It is obnoxious. Online voting is being suggested, but there's a lot of pushback from IT professionals about this. Yeah, they don't think it'll come here. Well, they're concerned about potential fraud and verification of the ballot. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Um, we have a good system. It's a pretty good system for national elections, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, phone voting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and what they do to preserve the secrecy of your ballot is you get a code. So when you call in, so you, you get a code quite a bit before the actual election day. Then you call in and you give your code, so you don't have to give your name. The person who takes the call doesn't know your name, and they go through the ballot paper with you and complete it over the phone, and then they hand it to a second official who doesn't know even your code. 
and they read back the vote that you've just cast and you actually hear the sound of them putting it in the ballot box. I think that's a fair compromise. That is a actually. fair compromise. Yeah. I'm going you, to put it in the box now. You used that last time, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, and, and we had a flag referendum. I think you used it for that. Yeah. As well. Yeah. You had to vote on the flag. Oh, yes. Yes. They didn't change the flag. Nope. There. I voted to keep it. You did? Uh-huh. To keep the flag? Yeah. Well, no! Mm-hmm. That's terrible. Why did I you like, do that? Because I like the Union Jack. Oh, my word. Oh. I think it's pretty. Oh, goodness. I'm shocked. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to talk about the Powerball that we didn't oh, win. Well, we'll go ahead if you want. We decided to play the Powerball this weekend. It was $32 million. It's a mugs game. Yeah. It, it's just a good way for the well, somebody's government got to, to make well, money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I guess it goes to a good cause because they do, they do um, dispense a lot of grants for different charities and things well a lot of states i mean tennessee has made so much has done so much with the lottery there's free public education in state schools if you make a b b average in high school i think when they took the lotto online and i can't remember when it was quite some years ago the the site was com- you're having fun fumbling the mm-hmm. mic nah. the, the, the site was completely inaccessible i mean totally inaccessible and i remember because the lottery's Grant Board is a government institution. And so I wrote to the responsible minister and I said, Oi, it's not accessible. And they said, Oh, we'll fix it. And uh, then I forgot about it because I'm not really majorly into this. But um, I went back to it because of the $32 million Powerball yesterday. It's really accessible now. Wow, it's super accessible. Are we going to buy another $38 million one? Yeah. So the the power, the, the other good thing is, you get your lotto ticket, and that's accessible now. And they have all these all these lines of numbers and yeah. stuff. But then they do actually. You can log in and check if you've won anything. I mean, even if we didn't win the big prize, we might have won something. But we haven't heard yet, have we? To be fair, I haven't checked. Oh, okay. If you win a prize of over a thousand dollars, they email you. Oh, okay. If you win a prize of under a thousand dollars, you can log in and check. Oh, check it. Okay. Yeah. So we might have uh, won twenty or something. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> I do that. Then the next draw is on Wednesday, and it's up to thirty-eight million dollars. Yep. Um, and they, you can set up automatic texting, so on the day of the next draw, they can send you a text and say, "Do you want to buy Powerball?" And you text back, "Yes." And then they charge your credit card for the thing you've given them authorization to charge you for in terms of how many lines you want to buy. <laughs> so it's <Yeah>. kind of <laughs> – Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of fun when it gets yeah. this big. I mean, you can see how I get addicted to yeah, that instant Some people could really have problems. Oh, yeah, they yeah. do. They do. They really do. But it's, it's kind of fun when it gets up this large. I mean, you know, I mean, the odds of winning are – you know, it's not going to happen. Mosin at Large Podcast. Here's Daniel Simro emailing in, and he says, Hi, Jonathan. Great to see that you are back podcasting. I've missed the blind side, the blind side, since it went away. So I'm glad to see that the feed is still being updated. I had a couple of comments that I wanted to make. If you can hear that click, by the way, this is me being parenthetical. Uh, Bonnie's got a new focus fifth generation braille display focus blue fifth generation and now we've got her fourth generation in the studio the thumb keys are a lot more clicky i'm noticing it 
Uh, so I, I don't have to keep lugging my fifth generation around and plugging it in. Anyway, first, in regards to the loss of voiceover speech after a call, Daniel says, if you do your triple-click home to toggle voiceover off, then say to Siri, activate voiceover. Note, I did this when I was restarting my call, and it worked. Whether it will work when you're starting a call, I don't know. My next comment was with respect to capitalization of Braille with a capital B. I completely agree that Braille should be capitalized, not just because he was the inventor, Louis Braille, but because it's the name of a system used for blind people. It is also used in conjunction with Note as a reference to the Braille Note taker. Yeah, that's a product name, so I get that there's no ambiguity about that. Thank you very much, Daniel. Anyway, great show, he says, and can't wait to hear the next one. Wow, it's very good to hear from you. Let's continue to scroll through some of the email responses we've received. Here's one from Ian Lackey. He says, hello, Jonathan. I have been stricken, stricken he has, by the dreaded iOS 13 bug. Having ended a call, my phone went as silent as the grave. As has already been noted, I still had output on my Braille with a capital B display. As it was making and ending a call which caused the problem, I wondered what would happen if I made another call. Well, what happened was that my phone started talking to me again. Could this be an alternative to doing a reset, says Ian? There you go, just talk to more people. It's, a, it's, a, it's an Apple initiative to encourage us all to be more social. On the question of the Queen and its place in the Abbey Road medley, or Her Majesty, I think Paul McCartney was right in taking it out. It was not so many years before the release of Abbey Road that the national anthem was played at the end of theatre performances. So as well as making the medley flow better, it is a reminder of a practice which many people bought the album would remember. That's a very good point. And of course, A Night at the Opera by Queen ends with a really cool version of God Save the Queen. So good one, Ian. Thank you. Here's Brian Gaff. Okay, he says. Not, hi, Jonathan. Great show or, you know, horrible show or anything. He just comes in and he says, okay, now on my, on most apps, he says, you have to elect whether to let it use mobile data or not. So even if mobile data is on, it will only use it if you agree. I have done this with numerous relatively low bandwidth things, including a talking newspaper streamer called Talking Newspaper. How much data do you have every month, Brian? We've got 22 gigabytes here, so it's something I never have to worry about. I just use the phone in the same way anywhere. However, says Brian, what app is it using when you say something like, you know, asking the magic word, play Mushroom FM radio station. I can't find one. As no app appears to be invoked, but it claims that mobile data is not enabled in settings. It's okay in the main settings, but since there is no app, where should I look to enable it for that command? It's affecting all radio stations. I also am not impressed by its accuracy. I have yet to get it to play anything 
from the BBC at all. And it tends to assume when it does not get it that I want to hear some odd drum and bass station. So where is the mobile data setting for the radio player located? Mysterious. Okay, well, I can solve all your mysteries for you, Brian, and I'll do it for only twice my normal fee. The app that's playing it is the music app. So you need to make sure that music is enabled in your mobile data. That's the first mystery solved. You're welcome. And the second mystery I will solve for you now. The reason why you can't get BBC radio stations to play this way is because of a decision that the BBC has recently taken and you will be able to hear Brits of all kinds whinging on about this in the next episode of Feedback, which is a fantastic show, as I mentioned before. The decision that has been taken that affects this is that there are several sources that Apple uses to make this radio station command work. And one, the, the primary source is TuneIn. And just recently, the Beep Beep Seep has taken its streams out of TuneIn. I understand the reason for this is that the BBC want to collect more data about who's listening, how long they're listening, where they're listening from, and TuneIn isn't providing it. And I find that kind of strange because we can do that. Even little Mushroom FM can see how long people are listening, where they're listening from, various stats like that. It's pretty easy. So why can't the BBC, with all their taxpayer-funded millions, do it? Anyway, they have taken their streams, most of them anyway, out of TuneIn. And that's why when you ask Siri to play a BBC stream, it ain't working no more. But anyway, it'll play Mushroom FM. And that is the thing that counts. Melissa Solon has been in touch. She says, good afternoon, Mr. Mosin. Well, hello, Ms. Marissa. First and foremost, thank you for the work that you do for the blindness community. That's really kind. Thank you. Secondly, I am thrilled to see that you have a Mosin at Large podcast. As you know, I have listened to your other podcast, The Blind Side, for some time. And also, when you were on FSCast, I hope this email finds you well. I wanted to share my thoughts on iOS 13. While I understand that Apple is a company with a large revenue, I am deeply disappointed that with uh, some of the bugs related to accessibility, that they were even allowed to be in the final release. I'm aware the beta tester is to do their best to report bugs to Apple. I am also aware that an operating system will have issues, no matter how it's version uh, or, or update. However, the iPhone's primary function serves as a phone. Having said that, as it relates to voiceover, there is no excuse for it to be not functioning properly when making calls and ending them. I am personally starting to get the feeling that accessibility for voiceover users also in general, has taken a back seat in Apple's view. I am quite annoyed that the accessibility department has said on numerous occasions that they have not had other people report issues when in fact there have been numerous reports regarding voiceover problems. Please don't think that I am criticising Apple. 
I just want the most basic functions of the iPhone to work correctly with voiceover. After all, the blind and visually impaired community is a smaller group than the sighted population. However, if we are going to spend our money on Apple products, can we not expect them to work to their full potential? There are also issues with Braille displays as well. It seemed as though for iOS 11, there were four, there, there were, um, four more issues, maybe far more issues, for those that used Braille displays than in previous years. There were also issues with invert colors or smart invert. There were some positives made in terms of voiceover with iOS 13, one being the customization of gestures, the other being activities, and being able to turn off the sounds that voiceover makes. Yes, I love that feature as well. As someone who has been in the assistive technology field, I completely understand that technology will not function perfectly 100% of the time. I do expect Apple to hopefully get their act together and take the time necessary to ensure accessibility issues are fixed in a timely manner hope you and your listeners have a wonderful rest of your day thank you very much sincerely yours marissa and it's sent for their iphone too thanks marissa i mean i think you're perfectly entitled to criticize apple if you've paid for a product that's not meeting your needs you're a customer and you have the right to do that i I don't perceive any kind of regression because we've had these problems before you know we've had these problems before so It'll all probably come out in the wash. Um, the question is when. But yes, it is frustrating. I have news. Welcome to the latest in news. Yesterday when we were discussing whether to waste our money on a lottery ticket with the big Powerball jackpot having... At that stage, got to $32 million. It's now gone to 38 because it wasn't struck yesterday either. And Bonnie said, you should definitely go into the online lotto system and give it a slot, a shot because you're lucky. She said, I'm not lucky. I said, oh, don't you think you were lucky when we found each other? And she said, yeah, 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 yeah. She quickly recanted, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not lucky with winning prizes and stuff. She said, I haven't won very much. So anyway, while all things have been going on around here, I did have a chance to check the lotto site, and I can tell you that I am indeed lucky. I have won. I have won money in the lottery. It says here, a grand total of $30. No, but don't knock it, because... What it means is that I've actually profited from the deal because that's more than I spent on the tickets to get into the Powerball. So it means that without any additional investment, I'll be able to try again in the Powerball on Wednesday and see how we get on. Only $30, but at least it means that it's a sort of a revenue-neutral game. Not bad, eh? If you'd like to be in touch with the Mosin at Large podcast, Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com with an audio attachment or an email message, or you can call the listener line. That number is 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. Mosin at Large.